1470, 100.3 WMBD. Greg Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. It's a Monday. Lots of stuff out there to discuss. I will get to what happened in, in Ukraine um, or what happened, excuse me, in Russia and why that matters and what the president is saying about Ukraine. I'll get to all that stuff. Uh, but I do think that an aspect of that story is being propped up politically as a bigger win than it is to, well, let's say, disguise or um, distract us, uh, put the shiny light going on over here. Well, some of the other things that might matter, uh, but the Biden administration doesn't want to talk about are trying to be swept under the rug. And uh, to their credit, there's several journalists that are not really letting that happen. There were a bunch of questions today to the White House press secretary about Hunter Biden. Uh, still coming up. Still still a thing. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, let's play this. I don't know what's going on with uh, Chuck Todd at Meet the Press, but he he did a bit of a hit piece on Biden, more or less. He had several things to say, all of them true, of course, uh, all of them bad uh, for the current president. Here's one of those things. Just 20 percent of voters believe this country is headed in the right direction. Seventy four percent say the nation is on the wrong track. Let me tell you something about this moment. We have had this sustained period of 70 percent about a year now. Um, the last two periods in the history of this poll that we've had this kind of sustained negativity about the direction of the country was before the 92 election and before the 2008 election. Both of those changed the party controlling the White House. Well, 70 plus percent of people for more than a year say that things are not going good. Things are bad. Uh, by the way, the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, also said today that most people are very happy with Biden, which seems disconnected to this simple fact that was shared on Meet the Press. Uh, but if that's true, um, which it is, then the last two times we've seen it, according to Mr. Todd, then that means something changes in the world of the White House and who's in charge, which essentially is saying uh, this is a point that probably needs to be discussed more. Biden's going to lose. <laughs> Or at least that's the assumption is that he's going to lose. It doesn't matter who it's to. Uh, the funny thing about some of the conversation, and I'm not trying to discredit the importance of who the Republican candidate is. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just saying that certain bits of information, certain pieces of valuable data on the Democratic side of the aisle says that it's an uphill battle for the current president irrelevant to who's on the other side of that that ticket, uh, who's on the other side as the competition because of how bad things have gone. So many people disappear. Here, I'll do another one. Um, I shouldn't say going to lose, likely to lose, likely to cause a lot of people to be confused if he wins. Those are all things that would happen. I'm not necessarily trying to prop up the conspiracy theory of election fraud. Just saying if Biden were to run against 2020's version of Biden, a guy who stayed in his basement all the time and hid, there's a lot of people, according to this data, who would vote against Biden because he's done a terrible job. Biden's job rating sits at just 43 percent, about where it's been since the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Fifty three percent disapprove. Uh, a full 68 percent of voters, including 43 percent of Democrats now, uh, which is twice what it was in 2020, say they are concerned that Biden does not have the necessary mental and physical health to be president. Half of of the amount of people on the Democratic side of the aisle in 2020 were like, yeah, we don't know about this guy. Uh, twice that number, as he said, 32 percent now of Democrats, of the people that are supposed to put their fingers in their ears and ignore everything going on that's bad about their candidate and just scream and yell about the candidate that they don't like on the other side of the aisle are like, yeah, no, this doesn't look good. There There's struggles here. Uh, one other moment for Chuck Todd. This is an oddly uh, praise heavy segment for him. There's not always uh, segments like that on this show about this guy. But he asked Amy Klobuchar an actual hard question. Uh, the Democratic senator, he said, and she laughed at him for asking it. Uh, but he said, 
do you think it's a big deal that a whole lot of people uh, doubt the mental capacity of our current president? Do you think that's going to matter going into this next election? And then actually, he even asked a question about Hunter Biden, uh, which I was very entertained by. That happened again on NBC and Meet the Press. Let's go with uh, mental capacity first. We got a new poll out. Uh, we asked various questions having to do with President Biden and his ability to do the job. Uh, does he have the mental and physical health to serve? Um, the concern among Democrats has doubled since October 2020. It was only one in five Democrats that had that concern before Election Day 2020. It's now over 40 percent. It's 43 percent. Um, you were just with the president at the state dinner. What are, do you have any concerns? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, he did so well at that state dinner. <laughs> he did such a good job saying everybody go eat their food and stuff and bringing Hunter, Hunter Biden along uh, while he's pleading guilty to certain things for tax evasion on business deals that are confusing, uh, that are at least confusing even to Democrats, but maybe not more than that, according to a lot of Democrats. Here's the um, the actual question that Chuck Todd asked to Amy Klobuchar about Hunter Biden and whether it's a bad look to have him at a state dinner while all this stuff is going on. Some of it in public, a lot of it behind scenes. Uh, there's a true belief that the FBI just kind of didn't care about a WhatsApp message that seems pretty significant and was talked about a lot last week, especially on this show on Friday. Uh, but again, here's a, a Hunter Biden specific question. And I, I love here's what I love. Democrats at some point will accept that more and more people who aren't conservative crazies, uh, according to uh, liberal mainstream media, are asking questions about Hunter Biden, are wondering about why so many things have been so confusing for so long. And eventually, when forced feet to the fire, Democrats will stop thinking that they can be arrogant enough to just laugh these questions off. But for now, because the challenges are few and far between, the Democrats can get away with, oh, please, this guy with his questions. I brought up the state dinner. Do you think it was appropriate for Hunter Biden to be at the same event uh, as the Attorney General Merrick Garland was in the same week, he uh, accepted a plea deal? You know, I think as the president explains, that's his son. That's a separate <laughs> thing. And I would like to say uh -huh. um, about that, that yeah. decision was made by an independent prosecutor uh -huh. who is a Trump-appointed right. U.S. attorney uh, who had... Ten years of experience, well-respected. Oh, well-respected. He, he gave a sweetheart deal to Hunter Biden, and there's no way that because he works for other people that anybody that's in charge now might have pressured him to do certain things, or even the investigation, investigation itself could have in some way, shape, or form been hampered before it gets to the point where the charges are levied in the first place. No way! That judge did what he was told to do, uh, did, excuse me, what he decided to do all on his own as several different charges were not actually filed against Hunter Biden. That's not something the judge can just decide to change, by the way. A, a Trump-appointed judge, any judge, can't look at the document and be like, you know what, you guys didn't charge enough stuff. I'm sorry. There's, uh, there's charges missed. This feels a little light, this uh, set of papers. I'm going to throw some charges in that I think are relevant, that the IRS thought were relevant. You know, it's, it seems like it's important. Uh, to go ahead and go that road. But anyway, I digress. I enjoyed that, uh, the things Chuck Todd said on NBC. Uh, let's do a little bit of this. Let's do uh, just a bit of the Russia revolution or Russia revolt or insurrection, uh, whatever you want to call it, that lasted 24 hours. If you turned on TV at the right time on Saturday night, you would have thought you were watching history. Um, to be honest, even what did happen is something that hasn't happened in Russia in a very long time. So in a way, there's history. Uh, but all of a sudden, 
as they were successfully marching toward Moscow, uh, they being the Wagner group, they were a, a group of paramilitary uh, mercenaries uh, who were deciding and apparently, according to their leader, um, to just protest some of the decisions being made by Vladimir Putin and by those in charge in Russia. They weren't actually trying to overthrow the country. Uh, those are the words of that leader today uh, who did stand down and did get a deal, uh, if that's what you want to call it, to flee the country and leave. Um, something that's now in question as to whether or not he did get out of Russia alive and if he's been captured. And Putin spoke today. And one of the things Putin said is those responsible are going to be held responsible. That doesn't sound good for anyone in char- anyone that was in charge or, or uh, deemed to be an important part of what happened on Saturday. But the fact that it just ended is something that, sure, if you want the most aggressively negative picture for Vladimir Putin, and a lot of people in America would want that. I would want that. I'm no fan of Putin. Uh, but if you want that, then you say that his his persona has been fractured. Uh, the people now see him as much weaker than they saw him before, and the next uprising is eminent. That's what you would say if you want to tear down Putin, which, again, a lot of people want to do. But if you want to be honest about this situation, you would not exactly say that. Uh, here is a couple of the things that John Kirby said today, uh, questions he was asked about um, all different kinds of, of um, aspects of this, including whether or not the administration would even prefer the Wagner or Wagner group uh, to uh, the Russian leaders like Vladimir Putin we have now. It's not like those individuals are amazingly great people. Uh, the person in charge of that group is actually known for being merciless in combat. And again, that might be significant to take in as a factor here. But here we go. Would you prefer to have Vladimir Putin leading Russia or an entity like the Wagner Group or someone uh, named from the Wagner Group leading the Russian government? We believe it's up to the Russian people to determine who their leadership is. And we would prefer uh, to see uh, uh, Russia not invade their neighboring country. Yeah, we would we would prefer to see that conflict stop and uh, stop writing checks. At least that's what we're saying there. Um, again, whether or not the actual um, revolt was significant is really in the eye of the, eye of the beholder to me right now because it, it ended and it ended quickly and it ended without a whole lot of casualties on the side of the the paramilitary mercenaries who were doing quite well. In their march toward Moscow, one of the beliefs out there, I saw this at least one place. I can't verify it. I don't know if it's true, Uh, but there are some that are saying that the family members of those paramilitary, those mercenaries were threatened. And that's why they stood down. And then that's why the offer for um, freedom to to flee was given to some of the leaders. And then um, apparently uh, there is no likelihood that he actually got out of the country or that the people that Putin will deem in charge get out. Uh, There's a high likelihood that they are punished to the full extent of the law um, there, which probably means death. It means a poisoning or something if you're Vladimir Putin, which is terrifying and actually might. You know, I'll say this. I'll end on this point. That might actually incite a more significant uprising uh, because those people in charge of that uh, paramilitary group are significant. They do have influence, at least over um, what appears to be a pretty valuable or or, um, capable part of the Russian military, not necessarily directly part of the military, uh, but because of their quick success in their march toward Moscow, that if you do kill some leaders and leave a lot of people alive, uh, which I don't know if Vladimir Putin will do that, uh, you might actually see a a second attempt uh, to take Moscow. 
Uh, again, I'm not totally sure, though, because if I believe some of that reporting about threatening the lives of, of family members, well, then a lot of people are likely to step down. All right, quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of things. The things are to be talked about. Let's do some of those things right now. Uh, first, let's do this. Um, I love this hack. I'm a huge fan. I have never tried it before. I should put that out there. I don't want people to think that I've done this before. Uh, but I'm not against it, especially since I've talked about before in my home. Uh, my wife doesn't really love air conditioning because she's from Mexico. So right now we're using air conditioning. We're not insane. But there are times, maybe right at the beginning of the hot season or right toward the end of it, uh, where Betty will be like, can we turn the air conditioning off? And I want to say no, but I say yes because I'm a good husband. Apparently, people freeze their pajamas. <laughs> you put them in a plastic bag. You toss them in the freezer. Uh, you let them get sweet, sweet, icy cold. And then you put them on when you go to sleep. <laughs> I don't know why I like this so much. Not that, not just that. You even could freeze the pillowcase, it says. So you go to bed essentially like a popsicle, uh, which, again, sounds amazing. If you're feeling extra hot, maybe uh, make that move yourself. Uh, use a hot water bottle is another thing. It says it's counterintuitive, uh, but the idea is to raise your core temperature before you go to bed. Uh, fill it with warm water, put it on your feet, uh, get yourself all sweaty, and then jump in the bed and throw the hot water bottle uh, not uh, with you. And then maybe things apparently uh, go well. Uh, there's a couple tips here for things not to do. Uh, don't sleep naked, it says. If you sweat a lot at night, especially if you're hot, uh, that's not going to be a good thing to be happening on the sheets instead of on your clothing. So good tip. Thank you for that. Uh, a little bit sooner uh, would have been nice. It would have been great if this was brought to my attention yesterday. No, I'm kidding. Uh, don't share the covers is something if you sleep with a significant other, uh, but you're different body temperature sort of things, uh, then you should probably get your own set of covers to keep yourself cooler. And then finally, leave your hair damp when you go to bed at night. Uh, when I shower right before bed, sometimes I leave uh, a few spots on, say, my back or somewhere else, a little bit damp, not just the, the hair. And I say it's great. My wife says that I'm, I'm ruining things uh, as far as the sheets again go. But I don't know. Like, that's a nice, it's a nice middle ground. Uh, but I'm just going to freeze my pajamas now, and then everything's going to be amazing, or it's going to go horribly wrong. It's an either-or situation. Uh, I saw this. An animal rights group is saying that Georgia's Macon Bacon uh, baseball team needs to change their name. Uh, glorifying bacon is bad. Uh, they want it to, to be something else, anything else. Uh, Macon, of course, is a city, so Macon Bacon is a genius name, and Bacon is amazing. Um, I am all for uh, doing everything we can to salute and and prop up uh, the world that is bacon, um, the world that has bacon in it, I should say. And so people are saying they're not going to do this. Uh, some people are saying maybe eventually they would do it. Uh, the president of the Macon Bacon team <laughs> said they're very surprised to hear this criticism, which has been posted on billboards throughout the city. He said the Macon Bacon do not view ourselves as a glorification of an unhealthy lifestyle or any of that other stuff that the um, you know animal rights groups would be upset about. And he should have said, but it's not in here, bacon's amazing. Out of all the things, like if I could name my baseball team after a food, bacon is way up on my list. It's toward the tippy top, I think, of food items. I don't know if I'd go food item. I feel like I would go uh, some sort of animal uh, long before I go food item. Uh, but if I did go food again, and if I'm in Macon, it just makes sense to go with Macon bacon. Uh, one last thing, uh, just a tip for you. I, I don't want to dive deep into it because I really don't know what to say about it. Uh, but the Wall Street Journal asked a bunch of people, how many unbuttoned buttons 
is sexiest? They wanted to know, do you go fold no shirt buttons? Do you go just a couple? And the answer is two. Apparently to most people, if you're going unbuttoned shirt, one button's not enough for sexy. Two buttons is exactly sexy enough. I don't know if it was guys or women that were answering this question and, and what exactly uh, made two buttons better than one and worse than three. I am confused, but that's the tip. I said I wasn't going to question it, so that's all I've got. Uh, Will's got the news. AM, it's 1470. FM, it's 100.3. But, hey, uh, we're on other stuff. Uh, even if you saw us on TV, on CBS over the weekend, you saw Greg Batten, the morning show. Uh, you saw our news department, Julia and Ken. Uh, and they talked about how some electric vehicles might be trying to get radios or AM radio dials out of the car. Guess what? We're on the apps, people. We're on all we have our own app. Uh, you can just say, hey, play WMBD radio to your smart speaker, uh, even if it's in your car. And you'll hear Will Stevenson talk about all the news as if it were on your console if they ever take AM away from those cars. Well, I hope they come back at CBS does and do a follow-up story featuring you and me because I think we were the only people that weren't on television on that story. And I think we <laughs> well, need Caleb to Kelch be on was television. Not, Caleb Kelch was not on television. Yeah, Caleb was not either. Yeah, so Caleb, you and I need to be on CBS immediately. I have, I have uh, a story for how I didn't wind up in that, but I'm not telling that on the air. I'll <laughs> well, tell you I that off a, the air. I have a story about that, too. I was <laughs> just told to clean up my desk <laughs> okay nice you know that's not what happened in my situation but, but you know gee cbs yeah. isn't going to mm-hmm. film a desk where nobody's sitting at no, that's What's true. a big deal it is true uh, and dan diorio of course was not it either unfortunately because uh, uh, he no, he's his, dealing no, with the laptop was on for oh it a was second. okay yeah. yeah they also yeah. called it the dan and greg show but in the graphic, they got it right. That's true. But sometimes people listen more to the words maybe people speak. A, maybe we need a more accurate news network <laughs> right. to come here and do a story Oh, shots that. at CBS from oh, Will Stevenson. CBS. They were terrible. <laughs> Them's they, fighting words. They can't even get Survivor right Now you got to do one of those news fights from Anchorman. <laughs> It's no. got to be you, Julia, Ken. You got to. And, and whoever's on that CBS Saturday morning you need, show that nobody watches. You need TJ in there, and you got to fight the CBS team. <laughs> we got to fight the Saturday nice. morning yes. team. Yeah, that sounds the amazing. Battle show. I mean, oh yeah. I'm not fighting Jane Pauley in the Sunday show. She's a national treasure. I wonder what the betting line would be on our news team versus the CBS <laughs> national news team. Mm. I, I feel like we wouldn't. We wouldn't be favored. Uh, I'm just saying. I don't know. Okay. I, you know, we're right. we're uh, we're scrappy. We are. Yeah, yeah, there are a bunch of people with a truckload of money. We're just right. people trying to earn a few bucks it's, for a well, living. And they're TV people. They got to protect certain stuff. Yeah, they we're radio people. Oh, yeah, we don't we, care. We don't need. You're our right. Faces. We can fight there. We just need our mouths. All right, we'll That's do some, all we need. Let's do some news. All right. Go fine. ahead and do some news. Gosh. Fourteen seventy. 100.3 WMBD, Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, let's do this. Uh, let's talk about how hilarious it is. And that's the word I'm going to choose. That the left, or even the view specifically, is going all out to defend Joe Biden, our president, in the world of Hunter Biden, and how ridiculously different they would behave if the roles were reversed and this was a Trump family member uh, being accused of these sort of things with Trump. And the reason that I find this so funny, and I think it's true in a lot of scenarios, is no matter who the good people uh, tell you they are, and the good people can be the politicians, the good people can be the media outlets, uh, the good people can even be your friends, uh, people that tell you that they know that they vote for the good guys. There's so few actual good guys out there in the world on either side of the aisle. There's almost no good guys that when you fail to see the crimes, the bad, the, hey, this isn't good of your own team, you make your opinion so much less worthwhile. It becomes so much more worthless in the grand scheme of things because of how biased it is. And this is essentially 
what is happening right here with what Anna Navarro says on The View about Joe Biden and how the Hunter Biden scandal is a story about something totally different. She's basically making a Hallmark movie or the start to it and how she says that this is about love and not about, you know, crimes and stuff. The Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. <laughs> and Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his father's son, love, man. Hunter, and will Come never on. treat him lesser than. No. And so he is a father first. Take it or leave it. He's a father first, no matter what his son is doing and how he's invoking his own dad's name to do certain things as far as Chinese business deals and other things go. He's just dad first, man. Uh, arrest me if my biggest sin is that I'm a father who loves my kid and then also accepts bribes on the side sometimes because he wanted to, not me, but I love him. That's really what this is about. I, I love that take. Um, I played audio last week of former President Trump on this show, and I got accused on this show of being a hardcore liberal by some listeners, which I actually uh, found kind of fun, uh, kind of amusing, uh, because my take on the Trump um, things that he said which actually I think was misunderstood by maybe the people getting so mad at me uh, via text. And you can text the show if you want to get mad at me again, 309-340-4464, 309-340-4464. My take last week is that whether it was good or bad for Trump, I respected the fact that he went out and answered questions because what you want is politicians who answer questions. And then you get to decide because we respect your intelligence as people. Uh, you say it. I say it. We all say it um, because we should all respect our, our ability to discern who to vote for. When they tell us actual answers, we then decide with the most appropriate amount of information. Again, those answers don't have to be true. They just have to be answers. Uh, this version of things is laughably hilarious uh, that the Biden administration and specifically the president has refused a lot to talk about this, of course, and we just kind of let him. And so whether you hate Trump or you love Trump, what he did last week sitting down with Fox News, who is more hostile to Trump than, say, someone on the left would realize because they think Fox News is super hardcore to the right and Trump over there on the right. And so it's going to be an easy conversation. It was anything but. And I'm sure a whole bunch of lawyers would have told Trump not to do it. But he did it anyway. Uh, whether it actually winds up being used in court, who knows? Uh, that's stuff to find out at a later date. But again, this is better than uh, silence. And that that tiny one that got mad at me is just simple facts in the world of Trump. And some of his answers uh, didn't seem as good as other ones. That's also true. I'm not going to pretend that everything is rosy all the time for whoever the side of the aisle I'm on is supposed to be. Uh, but here is Corinne Jean-Pierre uh, talking about how I'm not going to answer any of those questions. And I love here. You know what? I'll play the, the question from the reporter because I, I love it um, because, you know, at this point, uh, as many days as the story's been going on and with the White House press secretary walking out there and answering questions again, that the most likely answer you're going to get to anything about Hunter Biden is I'm not talking about that. I'm not answering questions about that. Go ask this other department or leave me alone. Essentially, the verbal version of uh, shut your mouth when you're talking to me, uh, which is such a great quote from a movie that I need to find. Uh, but it's, it's her version of that. And so instead of that, Someone went real smart, real high level and asked a question about whether or not there are any sort of processes, any sort of things that are going to change uh, for this administration to protect them from being accused of more shady business dealing and behavior like it. And one of those aspects might be to stop inviting family members, specifically Hunter Biden, to events that have heads of the state, that have Merrick Garland at them. That seems like a bad move from a simple optic standpoint 
are there going to be changes in how uh, this administration conducts certain things? And the answer still, of course, is no. It's not unusual for presidents to invite members of their family to official White House functions, um, like the state dinner last week. I'm curious, though, in light of some of the recent legal controversy, if the president communicated to members of his family not to conduct business on White House grounds. Can you tell us uh, about, about any kinds of guardrails that are up? <laughs> so look. See, genius question. Can you tell us any kind of guardrails, any kind of you know, rethinking of whether or not it's a good look to have guys uh, like Hunter Biden who have business deals in China and Ukraine and a lot of places that are confusing and probably illegal to a whole lot of um, uh, Americans. And honestly, uh, the Oversight Committee still working on stuff uh, even as uh, they're saying there's not going to be any other charges for Hunter Biden from the Justice Department, that might not matter so much. But as we're looking at all this, are you are you going to stop? Maybe not do any more art sales for Hunter. Maybe that's on the list of things you should nix in the next year or two. And the answer, again, terrible. Um, I'm going to be, again, very mindful because this is all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. Uh, to, uh, I don't want to screw up. Uh, to a case that the DOJ is currently overseeing so i'm not going to comment man nah, you pled guilty and that's going to end though as you know I mean, yeah. uh, laid out uh, very early on in this administration when it comes i love the fact that i just grunted on the radio by the way <laughs> that's all i had after the he pled guilty is like yeah nah, 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 is what i wanted to say to her continue to ethics when it comes to how uh, we all uh, 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 uh-huh. Uh-huh. kind uh-huh. of move about yep yep uh, and how we have <laughs> we respect what uh, are we clearly the government ethics here? Are you still uh, answering the question? This is an administration that has been incredibly transparent. Oh, so transparent. That, uh, and has outside of that, you know, strict, whole hunter thing. Uh, strict rules. <laughs> strict, uh, so the strictest. I can speak to that. I can speak <laughs> Talked to how about the all of it. has moved forward and He's making sure moved. that uh, uh, the people who work for him and himself <laughs> are, are, are held to um, a higher uh, standard. Kind of a, a strict course of action. Uh-huh. Not the family, though. The family can do whatever they want. Hunter Biden can threaten Chinese officials and say, my dad is standing next to me. And by the way, that's not challenged uh, to continue to talk about that WhatsApp message on this show or any show anywhere. It's not being challenged by the administration that the WhatsApp message is real. No one is saying that it's not real. The only defense they're throwing out there is that Hunter was making it up, is that his dad wasn't in the room with him. And Hunter was leveraging the role his father had in our government, either in, uh, you know, uh, 2020 or, or excuse me, in 2015, 16, before he's out of office, uh, when he is the vice president or then after uh, his win in 2020 when he becomes the president. And I think actually the China message is in between that. It's in that gap. But Biden's a name that was likely to run anyway. But that part's not being denied that he actually that Hunter did this. The only thing that's denied is whether or not um, it was honest and truthful and Joe had any intention of helping Hunter with his business dealings at all. But think about that for a second. I'll just end on this this idea that Hunter Biden, someone who is admitted to doing a whole lot of bad stuff in the world of drugs and whatnot, was so confident in his I don't know if you want to call it relationship with his dad or lack of need to tell his dad certain things that he could threaten Chinese politically connected um, uh, business people with actions by his dad and all of his friends. Because in the WhatsApp message, it goes, my dad and his friends are taking you down if we don't get resolution on this thing tonight. 
a man. He was so confident in that. And this is a guy who flies on Air Force Two when his dad is vice president, flies on Air Force One, shows up at state dinners, is being propped up and allowed. So Biden is one of two things. And I've said this before in the show, but it's been a while. Our president is one of two things. He's the biggest idiot. He is not someone who loves his son, but he's the biggest moron in the world of politicians, in the history of politicians, for continuing to allow and prop up his son, who is using it against him. And there's definitive proof of that. And Biden is still letting it happen by inviting him to the state dinner the other night. Or the alternative, and that's the one that the Democrats are telling you, how dare you, sir, for even suggesting it. Biden's been in on the take the whole time. It's one of two. It can't be neither. A Biden can't be completely President Biden, unaware of the things his son is doing at this point with this much news coverage about it, and then also not at all involved in the business dealings that Hunter says he is involved in, whether it's giving money to the big guy, it's a weird thing to reference, or whether it's the big guy uh, having chaos rain down if you don't do the stuff you're willing to do. Just think about that logically and honestly to yourself. If you're on the left, if you're on the right, if you hate Trump, if you hate Biden, whoever you hate, I don't care. How could anyone, anyone claim to still have no real idea what Hunter is up to, especially if you're a loving parent and your kid went through a a really difficult, if that's even what you want to call it, uh, drug addiction phase of his life? It's usually not good parents who just back off and let them keep living their life in those moments. It's good parents who get very involved. So if he's a very involved good parent, uh, then he's also the biggest idiot on the face of the earth. Either one is not a good look. Only one of them is actually illegal. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, This might be a hot take. I'm not sure. We'll find out in just a second. So there's a hot dog vendor in Delaware. Yes, this is where this is going. Uh, They're called the Wiener Kings. And it's not the Wiener Mobile, of course. That's Oscar Mayer. uh, But the Wiener Kings in Delaware, they have a pontoon boat, a 19-foot pontoon boat that they serve hot dogs off of. Uh, There is a father and son team, Brian and Tyler. Uh, Keys, I think, is their last name, and they're talking about their floating restaurant idea. I don't know why the idea of a a a wiener boat makes me not feel good. As far like the wiener mobile is what it is, and it's hot dogs we're talking about, people. But there's something about the phrasing there that just feels wrong uh, to more or less quote Archer. But here we go. Here's a little bit of this audio. We have him on the grill. I'm up front taking orders. And we're just killing it. I mean, it's ankle deep water and people just walk up and order food. As soon as we got out there, people started coming. Uh, Unexpectedly busy. I mean, we ran out of food. We weren't expecting that. I mean, it was crazy. No advertising. No, nothing. Just on a pontoon boat, throwing hot dogs to people on um, making a lot of uh, sweet, sweet business decisions. But again, uh, the name of the company, the Wiener Kings, the name of the, the vehicle, I, I hope it's not uh, the wiener boat. I don't know why. I can't tell you the reason that something about it just seems off to me, uh, but it does. All right, let's move on. Let's do this story. Uh, there's a parrot out there that's gone viral on social media. Uh, yes, uh, this is how uh, light we're turning this segment into on the show. Uh, more ranting coming up in just about 10 minutes or so, so don't worry. I'll be back to political ranting soon. Uh, but I, I do think this is funny. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, there is a a parrot uh, that apparently throws on a southern accent, but only with some of the words that it says, which leads me to believe the owner of this viral pet is not someone who's from the south, but someone who also says certain phrases with a southern accent. You choose for yourself. Here we go. 
No, that's not. Alright. I don't know why I'm terrified of this noise in all honesty. The I'm gonna get you, uh, but said by a parrot. Like I feel like this would be the scariest version of being chased by someone in a movie, a slasher film, that for some odd reason has a parrot on their shoulder the entire time and the parrot is just saying this. Yeah, no, I don't feel good about this. No, uh, nope, don't feel good about any part of that. But that's viral. Uh, That's all over the Internet because the Internet's dumb. And that's what's great about the Internet, by the way. All the serious stuff, all the, you know, sharing of of things that are true and false and everything else. I take it or leave that stuff. Uh, All the just idiotic things. Uh, that exist on there, the the taking it less seriously stuff, uh, that's the stuff I'm for. That's the stuff I love the most about what's on the Internet. And I honestly think we'd have way less, um, say, people impacted by social media from a mental health standpoint if everyone just stopped treating Facebook or Twitter or any of the social media platforms like they actually had real value. And I'm not saying that you can't find information out that's true on them, just saying that we should take them all as seriously as people are taking a parrot that says, I'm going to get you in a pretty significant Southern accent. Man, I don't know why I like that so much. And I'm also terrified by that. It's a both. It's a both thing there. All right. Will's got the news. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff. I don't know why I'm sing-songing it, but I am. I feel like I'm in that mode today. All right. Let's do a bunch of things. Uh, Let's do this first. Barack Obama said some stuff. Um, He said things about how it was obscene inequality, the amount of media coverage of the Titanic sub and the um, sinkage of a migrant ship. Uh, One covered a lot. The other one not covered at all. I have some responses uh, for President Biden or excuse me, President Obama, who probably is actually in charge, according to some. Uh, But first, let's play the audio. Here we go. Our democracy is not going to be healthy with the levels of inequality that we've seen generated from globalization, automation, uh, the decline in unions, uh, obscene inequality. You think about news of the day. Generally, we're not talking about news of the day. But right now we have uh, 24-hour coverage, and I understand it, of this submarine, the submersible, that that tragically is right now lost at the bottom of the sea. Um, At the same time, right here, just off the coast of Greece, we had 700 people dead, 700 migrants who were apparently being smuggled uh, into here. And, you know, it's made news, but it's not dominating in the same way. All right, here's the thing. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the thing about the the story about uh, Greece is, yes, there was a migrant boat that sank uh, off of Greece. 350, I think, uh, Pakistani uh, people were on that boat and likely to be um, deceased. And the reason why, and 700 estimated total migrants on this um, boat, uh, but I think Pakistan has given more information as of last week to, to their individuals. Uh, the reason why that wasn't covered the same way that the the sub was covered is first and foremost because in the story of the migrants um, who who died, 
there was no way to save them by the time people were learning about it. I don't mean that as the boat was sinking that there aren't questions being asked about officials in, in Greece as to why uh, maybe rescue wasn't provided. But there was no way for any, our military couldn't do anything. No one could mobilize and do something by the time we learned about that story. So news coverage does seem to peak and valley in the world of stories where there's not much you can do. It's actually the same take I had on Friday about why I don't think we should keep talking about the sub. It's not something that I need more updates on uh, now. And there's really sad, devastating updates out there that I have seen from family members, including the mom of um, the father and son who died on the sub. And apparently the, the kid was avid that he wanted to go. Uh, it's a different narrative than what you heard before. But but that's just I called it this on Friday and I'll call it again. News porn. It's it's thinking that you want more updates on a thing that dominated headlines for a few days. So they're going to keep giving you more updates for several additional days. Not that they're reporting news really anymore. Uh, not that it's as valuable as it is when you think you can rescue people. The whole reason the sub dominated headlines, not because people on it were rich, not because people on it were of a certain race. None of that is why. It's because we thought we could save them. Uh, up until the moment when we realized we couldn't save them, and then it totally changes. And so what actually is occurring here is politicians, Obama and others, or uh, just people out there with the hot takes, are trying to weaponize human compassion as though it says something about something else. And I don't understand why we do that. Uh, another version of this, which I've actually talked about on this show before, but it's been a while, is when the news overcovers a white woman who's gone missing. If you've heard of that before, it's a whole thing. They claim that news media is more obsessed with a story of a young, potentially even, they say this, this is, these are not my words, attractive woman uh, who's typically white that goes missing in a situation, whatever the situation might be, and winds up getting significantly larger amounts of news coverage than, say, anyone else that's not a young, somewhat attractive, potentially, I'm not sure if they always say that's the case, a white woman. And my response to that has always been, and there is some data that proves aspects of that are true, why not talk about solving the issue by talking about the other missing people as opposed to admonishing anyone for talking about a person that goes missing? Why, why is the, the counter to those arguments typically, how dare we talk about this thing that is valuable and we're trying to save people or trying to find out where missing people went as opposed to the opposite, being like, well, maybe we could do a better job of talking about some other things out there uh, without necessarily – um, devaluing the conversation or the crazy hot takes that because they were five wealthy people on that submersible that they don't matter and we shouldn't have tried to save them at all, which is an insanely like it's the opposite of the human compassion that we all should have for each other. So I just don't get the argument, especially from the side of the aisle or someone like Obama that always says they're the good guys. They're the they're the people that are fighting the bad guys, the horrible uh, Republicans out there who want to do terrible things or support a horrible man that tweets mean stuff to people sometimes. And then the counter argument to some of this stuff is we should stop talking about a sub that we think is stuck and not uh, imploded yet because we think we might be able to save people. The, the lack of compassion there 
the anger that comes out in those statements is is something that people need to reflect on as as individuals. Anyone who has those hot takes out there, how dare we try to save our rich people or how dare we talk about this, needs to reflect on where their anger is coming from because more compassion is good in society. Less compassion fixes nothing. It, it fixes no situations at all. All right, other things out there that I want to play. Uh, this is interesting to me. Uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is answering questions. He did a media tour all weekend long uh, talking about Xi Jinping, talking about his trip to China, and even talking about how the president has called Xi Jinping a dictator. And that's something that wasn't okay, but it's kind of okay. Uh, Here's what Blinken is saying now. I have to ask you about China. You just went to Beijing last week. It was an attempt to smooth frayed relations uh, with China. Two days later, President Biden calls Xi Jinping a dictator, which angered China so much that they issued an official diplomatic reprimand to the U.S. ambassador. Was the president wrong to call Xi Jinping a dictator? Dana, it's, it's very clear that when it comes to, uh, to China, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, we are yeah. going to uh, do and say things that they don't like. They are going to do and say things that we don't like. Mm-hmm. If you look at what comes out of uh, the Chinese foreign ministry every day about the United States. Uh, you'd hear plenty of that. Uh, but the the purpose of the trip at the president's instruction uh, was try, to try to bring a little bit more stability to the relationship. To, to kiss up, to do everything I can to say um, whatever version of I'm sorry we apparently are providing to China as they yell at us, uh, which was CNN's actual coverage of how that meeting between um, uh, Blinken and Xi Jinping went. But here, let him say a little more. Demonstrate that we're committed to managing it responsibly, which really is an obligation for us and an expectation that countries around the world have. And to be able to deal very directly. With our differences, there's no secret about uh, about those differences. There's no-, <laughs> there's no secret about those differences whatsoever. Uh, we think that we can coexist and things can be great. Uh, I'm not saying that there should be military conflict between the United States and China, uh, but the idea that we could be really great buddies uh, with the ideological differences that our two countries have is is one of the other things that I think these politicians, especially politicians on the left, are asking a lot of Americans to check their brain at the door and believe because China continues to be provocative and continues to treat us, or at least this administration, as though they better bow down or else. That's how they behave. Uh, That's how CNN described the behavior in the room when Xi Jinping dressed down our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and still hasn't taken a phone call Uh, from our president, or at least hasn't taken a phone call of significance, uh, because that's something that, uh, according to the administration, Biden wanted to do a while ago. Now, one other thing, I want to play one more thing, and then we'll take a break, uh, a little bit longer of a segment. Uh, I know there's that viral audio of um, our vice president, of uh, Vice President Harris, saying that you don't have to check your religion at the door to support their – I still have the audio. I know it's from last week, but I have it. I'll play this quickly. Uh, you don't have to check your uh, religion. You don't have to abandon faith in order to agree with them on their abortion um, stances, them being Democrats. Here's how she said that. And I think on this issue it's really important to also just remember you don't have to abandon your faith or your deeply held beliefs to agree that the government should not be telling a woman what to do. Yeah, um, here's the thing. You do have to abandon your faith 
to be someone who supports the idea of abortion, not um, um, thinking of a, a unborn child as a human being with with rights. That That is a faith thing. I'm not telling you what side of the argument to be on. I don't want this to dovetail into Collins did a 10 minute segment about abortion and who's right and who's wrong. I don't really want to go there today. I've done enough on this Monday. Uh, but there there is no version of just saying something out loud into a microphone and pretending it's true and hoping everybody accepts it to be true. Uh, those who are people of certain faiths, uh, certainly Catholic, which is what I am, uh, do have faith-based uh, teachings that would say something that directly opposes the thing that um, the vice president said a few days ago. Uh, now you have uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, out there saying that we don't have to subjugate individuals uh, to certain weaponizing uh, that she thinks is going to occur. And I'll play her audio, uh, too, uh, in the world of people that would travel from one state to another state uh, to get a procedure that's illegal somewhere and, and it's legal somewhere else. I just did this story last week. Uh, there's a deep dive, and it wasn't by a right-leaning organization. There have been literally zero cases of states trying to go after people who may have crossed state lines and done something that's legal in one state that wouldn't be legal in another state. There has been zero instances of this. And yet one of the Democratic messaging points in places like New York or in Illinois, where there is no chance of the abortion laws changing, uh, there's no chance of voting the amount of politicians out of office that you need to vote out to have the majority necessary to change laws. But those states continue to run on abortion as a conversation and claiming that they're protecting the rights of people through some of these things that they're passing in other states to come to New York, to go to Illinois and to get something done that, say, is illegal in Indiana or elsewhere. Again, this isn't happening. So they're just saying something out loud that isn't true and trying to get you to believe it. And even more so, New York is really swinging for the fences because what uh, Kathy Hochul says is they're going to do telehealth things and they're going to mail you prescriptions if they uh, decide that you um, uh, need a prescription for something like an abortion. And they don't care if they're mailing it to a state where that sort of medicine's illegal. Uh, they're just going to go ahead and do it. Here's her answer. Across America. And so, I Governor Hochul, first of all, uh, oh, uh, hold on one <laughs> second, Elise. I'm so sorry. I like um, how they bumble over bad. each other. But, Governor Hochul, I'm just curious. Um, I, I, first of all, love what you're trying to do to help women across the country who are in these horrendous situations horrendous. because they can't get the health care that they need. Um, but this measure in New York would prohibit state law enforcement from cooperating with any out-of-state litigation against doctors. Something they already uh, can, they don't have to follow the laws of other states. They're passing these things are symbolic to get people to vote for them because they believe they're protecting rights that they're not protecting because they're running on, on ideas. They're not running on things that actually benefit or, or matter to you. Uh, they, they just run on messages. They, they don't run on actual action that has any sort of impact on your life. Let's go, continue. Who use telehealth services to prescribe medication, abortion, or provide other reproductive health care. So if a woman is on a telehealth with a doctor, he's, he or she is protected. But how does she get that medication in the state that she's in? Because if she goes to a pharmacy, aren't they not going to give it to her? We can also have it sent to different clinics and providers, but also you know, we're going we're gonna to test this. No, this has not been mm -hmm. done before. It's not been enforced. Here's what you just said. We're going to test this. I have no idea if it's going to work. I'm just running on it as a message because I think it matters 
uh, to my state and the amount of people who vote the way that they vote in at least New York City. Uh, and I think it's going to help me with my political campaign. And I'm probably not actually going to do anything that benefits any people that I'm trying to benefit or even claiming I'm trying to benefit anywhere other than in New York. So essentially, it's symbolic. There's so much symbolic support for stuff. Uh, by politicians. And the only way to stop it is to call it what it is, to say out loud that these are symbolic gestures that mean nothing. Uh, you cannot say into a microphone that you don't have to abandon your faith to agree with Democrats and not with Republicans as far as abortion stands. You don't have to uh, because you do. I'm not saying people don't do that or people don't pick and choose what parts of their faith uh, they follow a lot of people. I think a lot of humans do that. But you, you do have to pick and choose in those situations. If you read the actual text of of some of those faiths, uh, not all, uh, mine certainly included, it's it's pretty, um, pretty specific. It's it's pretty clear uh, what the beliefs are there. And then beyond that, also in this other one, there have been literally I don't mean to rant about this or continue to repeat myself. Zero cases of states trying to go after someone who may or may not have crossed the state line and gotten something done, even tracking people, which I think Texas might have been the only state that tried any sort of law in that vein, is tremendously difficult. Uh, we don't ask people when they cross state lines why they're going to this state, why they're leaving that state. Like when you come in from another country, that's not a conversation you have. You've driven. I've driven. It's not a thing. Uh, Democrats running on this just want sweet, sweet votes for something that is unlikely to change in the states that they're in charge of. They essentially want an issue they don't have. Uh, they crave it because they think they'd get support standing on the position they have on it. That should be upsetting and uh, not something that makes anyone vote for a certain politician. All right. Quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100.3. It's a ranty show. We'll switch it up after this. Uh, 1470, 100.3. WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, Greg Collins Show. Very little time before the news. Want to play this audio. Uh, this is a NASCAR event over the weekend. I don't watch a lot of NASCAR. If you're a NASCAR fan, don't get excited. This isn't my intention to start talking about this more. I just love this audio. Uh, Ross Chastain won a uh, race, and at the end of the race, he's doing an interview talking about all the doubters. you got to prove them wrong and uh, commit to the process. And then eventually he ended it in just an awesome way. Um. Yeah, look, it's a cup win. I don't care what happened the last month, the last my rest of my life. It's a freaking cup win! <laughs> there you go, yeah! Ross start. <laughs> I love that. He's a freaking cup win, man! And then he just ran off, and uh, I think he kept eating watermelon, because I think that's a thing you do there um, after you get a cup win. <laughs> so it's, it's great. I love that. Uh, you do a, it looks like a three-minute interview, mostly about the trials and tribulations that you've overcome to get to the place where you're winning in a race, and then you end it with, it's a freaking cup win, man, and then just run. I, I'm going to end all interviews I do in a similar fashion. I don't know if I'll always say it's a freaking cup win and run off. That probably won't make sense. Uh, but some version of just insane uh, excitement all of a sudden and then dashing away from wherever I am uh, feels like the right move for me from now on moving forward. <laughs> I like Will Stevenson you, already laughing about this. You have, to, you have to start, though, with somebody asking you, how does this victory feel to you? Yeah, no, or anything. They can ask me anything. <laughs> Anyone who does an interview with me where I'm the interviewee, not the interviewer, I promise you at the end of it, I'm going to get real excited, yell something and run that's craig, all i'm gonna do craig you did a really good segment a few minutes ago how does it feel it feels really good man i feel great there's all the trials and tribulations the people you had to beat but at the end of the day it's a radio show man yeah. it's a radio show i made left turns <laughs> hey now hey oh, hey now that's actually a hard sport i think 
and I would like to try it at some point, but they're not going to really? let me. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to be in a NASCAR race. You can go up to Joliet. I'm sure they'll let you in. That's got to be the most. That has to be the most fun sport to. There's no way that there's a more fun sport than that sport. Driving a car as fast as you can horse around other racing. fast cars. No, not as fun. Oh, really? Not as fun. Yeah, no. It's the same thing except with horses. No, it's not that. It's it's nowhere near the same thing. <laughs> it's all left turns and horses. You just are making you left just turns. threw out the invention of the car. Like it doesn't matter. Like we could all just be riding horses. Why today and why do they call it horse the same. power please sir we have so much more of it in a car they are amazing <sighs> cars are great everything. no i explained i i understood your point it was terrible they're not at all the <laughs> same that's like point. saying a kid's tricycle is the same they're as a motorcycle the same thing they're going around no. the track no they're not gets there the fastest. they're not going the same the speed same it's not the same thing no it's oh. not all right well do news do some new stuff <laughs> well if you're going to be that way about <laughs> it fine <laughs> 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's Craig Collins' show. Top five at five time. These are the five biggest stories, according to me. Uh, every single day, I just uh, do uh, this. Uh, these are not in any specific order either. Uh, let's just go with number one. At least I'm calling this number one. Uh, I think that this is interesting. John Kirby, uh, who actually got like tapped in um, or, or tagged in, I guess from going wrestling term, by Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, as he often is tagged in to ask, answer specific questions about uh, military-related things, uh, gave an answer to whether or not the upcoming NATO summit will have any sort of agenda pieces uh, tied to Russia, tied to the one-day revolt that ended, uh, ended even though uh, the people that were doing it, the paramilitary, the mercenaries, uh, the Wagner group that was doing this, they were succeeding. And then they just randomly gave up, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, but here's what John Kirby said about the lack of any sort of NATO-specific plans uh, to address or discuss the events in Russia over the weekend. I think it's, again, too soon here. This just happened over the weekend. So uh, I think I'd be fibbing to you if I told you that there was some sort of big agenda item uh, changed because of what happened over the weekend. We'll, we'll have to see how this plays out. Uh, it's just too soon to know what the impacts are. You know, what's funny is I just did the first of the top five at five, and then I just got a text message from somebody who's like, Craig, it's 440. And I'm like, you're right. I didn't even look at a time. I don't know why I felt like it was five o'clock already. So let's just call this the top four at 430. The top three and a half, and we'll get to the rest of the five later, and I'll come up with other ones, but let's continue to play this one. Let's keep going. Uh, it's going to be an important NATO summit regardless, because we are now you know, almost a year and a half into war here in Ukraine. Uh, we've got a new NATO member uh, in Finland, and hopefully soon uh, a 32nd member. Uh, so there's an awful lot on the agenda to speak to, and it's a critical time for the alliance. The president's looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, critical time for the alliance. A lot of stuff to speak to. Again, I had no idea it wasn't 5 o'clock. So I feel like this whole segment has been thrown in the trash all of a sudden. But no, we're going to keep doing it. It's going to be amazing. Don't worry, people. Uh, but Kirby says basically nothing in response there. Uh, to dive in just quickly to what happened in Russia, uh, because it is my intention uh, multiple times today to run through this as far as I understand it. So you have a, a paramilitary, a mercenary group uh, and a leader of the mercenary group who have been complaining about the lack of efficiency in the Russian military for a while, uh, a good while, in fact, saying things that maybe a lot of other people in Russia do not say about Vladimir Putin because of the unique situation of having, well, your own military when you say these things. So then at some point you start to advance on Moscow. Uh, you take down some uh, planes and some other uh, Russian uh, military um, vehicles and whatnot, and then you just randomly stop. And you're not getting much uh, conflict. 
that's the other thing that's significantly part of this story, but not necessarily something that's being talked about as much as it should. It wasn't like they were waging a war against the Russian military and the Russian military was putting up a fight and losing. Essentially, you shot down a few aircrafts and other things, and then you were just barreling toward Moscow and saying that it was a a revolt, uh, that you were uh, looking for more support. And then you just stop, as I said, because that's what actually occurred. And so the narrative in the United States now for Democrats, for experts, for anybody out there is that this is a huge crack in the uh, Vladimir Putin. And I'm no fan of Putin. I'm not trying to do a pro-Russia segment on the radio in Peoria. Uh, but there's a huge crack in, in the armor that Vladimir Putin had around himself because somebody actually demonstrated openly and for a, a decent amount of time, 24 hours or so, uh, to be someone that was willing to try to overthrow him. Uh, the problem is that that individual who led that quote-unquote uprising has already said today that it was not an attempt to overthrow the Russian military, which is problematic uh, to steal a, a millennial word, uh, a word that's used a lot uh, when you talk about why or how things happened, uh, whether or not a deal was struck to allow this leader uh, to go ahead and just uh, bounce and leave and not be in Russia anymore after trying to throw a mutiny. Uh, but one day later, uh, the person in charge, the person that was leading the revolt, has all of a sudden said that I was just trying to demonstrate my dislike with some of the planning as far as our military has been concerned so far. Uh, I want the military that's uh, ordering us around, the Russian military, to know our capabilities. But other than that, my bad. Oopsie daisies. Uh, have a nice time. I'm going to go leave now. That's essentially what's happened. Uh, there has been a 180 that's actually occurred from the people in charge themselves of the Wagner Group. Uh, so what does that tell you about the influence, the power, uh, the significance of a Putin in Russia uh, to the Russian people? I think it tells you something very different than what we're talking about here in the United States. And man, oh, man, why would Biden, why would a bunch of Democratic politicians uh, try to talk about a win that might not be a win in the world of the Ukraine-Russia conflict? Well, it might be to distract from a bunch of the other crap that's going on. And I say that crap significantly uh, because, well, there's a lot of other crap going on. I want to move uh, to this because uh, I think this is interesting. Even Biden himself right now, our president, is seeing a more significant threat I don't think anyone actually will win any sort of primary against him unless he actually steps down. But a more significant threat from at least one politician on the Democratic side of the aisle than he would have expected. I don't think usually you have 20 percent support in polls uh, for someone that is trying to run against an incumbent who's running for reelection. And yet here we have it. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. has 20 percent approved, 49 percent uh, positivity or approval ratings of just him as a person uh, by Democrats or by people that would likely vote on that side of the aisle. So some of the things that Kennedy is saying have mattered. They've mattered to uh, people on on the left uh, more so or maybe just as much to people on the right. I get a sense that Kennedy is being used uh, by conservatives, by the right, propped up as a demonstration of the flaws of Biden, uh, much like I think Chris Christie or anyone is designed to be a, a guy going after Trump to out the flaws of Trump. Christie way less successful, I would say, so far because uh, we've seen that show before. But I want to play one uh, back and forth. Um, uh, Kennedy Jr. did a town hall. Uh, someone stood up and asked a very easy, specific, uh, Democratic-leaning version of a question about gun control, gun rights, 
And the Democratic answer to that question, the one that Biden would give, is a very different one than the one that Robert Kennedy Jr. gave. And this may mean that there's not support, or there, but as I said, polls are showing uh, the Democrats do like uh, Kennedy Jr. Uh, more so than Biden would hope uh, that they seem to like him. Uh, but what's really weird about this, the oddest thing, is um, a Democratic politician running for president and I fully agree. The answer he gave is one I'm fully in unison with um, as far as the lack of ability for anything in the world of gun control to actually work. Uh, here's how he uh, here's how the question was asked. I don't want to be accused of, of getting the question wrong. And here's how the question was answered. Our country went to war in a foreign land over a rumor of weapons of mass destruction. We have weapons of mass destruction here, semi-automatic weapons, easily available with little documentation in our own country, and they're killing children. What will you do to confine semi-automatic weapons to use only by military and law enforcement? I am not going to take people's guns away, and I, I believe in gun control myself. Um, but I, you know, anybody who tells you that we can end the violence to our children that's going on now by removing people's guns at, in, at the margin that has been left to us by this very expansive Supreme Court decision is not being truthful with you. They're lying to you. That's what he just said. He said anyone that tells you that taking guns off the streets, uh, making them uh, harder to get, is not going to do anything as far as causing people uh, – because here's, here's the easiest way I'll say it. And I'll just take a break on this, on a segment that I thought was a half an hour from now and is only 4.47 as I continue to look at the clock and think, how am I this crazy? Uh, but no, what I want to say is that if someone is intent to hurt someone else, uh, guess what? They're already committing a crime. A really, really bad crime, a really significant crime, and I don't know if they care, especially the awful, horrible viral stories we see uh, in our community, not this specific community, but in in the country every so often, way more often than we'd want to, uh, where you take multiple lives, uh, where you attack uh, schools like we've seen a couple times. Uh, those individuals are already at a place in their life I can't comprehend an evil place where they don't give a bleep. I just bleep myself on the radio uh, what crimes they're going to commit to do the thing they want to do. And in the past, you've seen bombings when we had the uh, assault weapon ban. There were there were bombings in our country. Uh, one of the ones that's more significant to me, and this is not necessarily because of an assault weapons ban uh, per se, but it, it's just one I, I remember uh, kind of vividly watching was the the Boston Marathon a bombing. And so I don't understand why people want to claim or believe that taking guns off the streets and apparently a Democratic politician who's doing better than expected in the polls, and I fully agree that they're lying. They're just saying something much like, I guess, a narrative of the show has been uh, that politicians use messages to gain your, this is not groundbreaking as a thought, to gain your support. And the more you realize that politicians use narratives to gain your support, the more you open your eyes to whether or not politicians care or can actually impact some of the biggest challenges uh, we have in society. The way to stop people from committing horrible acts of violence, uh, whether it's in a community uh, like a community uh, here in our own our own area or whether it's a a certain subset or parts of the, the country where where people or parts of the world or whatever you want to say it 
is a human solution. It's not a political solution. It's not a, a law-based solution. Uh, human beings need to find ways uh, to reach other human beings. Uh, when I talk to people in the black community, uh, where they say that there's a lot of violence in, in some areas, even areas uh, here in town. But for years when I was doing Chicago radio and I'd bring on leaders in that community, one of the things that every single leader says is we have to find our our uh, leaders, our people, uh, pastors, whoever they are in our community, and those individuals have to be the ones that cause change. That has nothing to do with gun rights or what is and isn't illegal. That has to do with a community reaching out to its its own people uh, because oftentimes communities lack trust for people outside of their community. Uh, That's part of the solution uh, to the problem. But I love the fact that Kennedy says out loud into a microphone after getting a very left-leaning layup of a question that anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. Now, granted, you don't have to agree with him just because I do. That doesn't mean you do. Uh, But it is interesting to hear someone on that side of the aisle Uh, Say something like that. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. Greg Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Top five at five coming up in seven, eight, nine minutes. I totally knew that half an hour ago. No problems here. Uh, Let me do this real quick. The United Talent Agency CEO, uh, this guy's name is Jeremy Zimmer, um, took a big shot at Meghan Markle. And I thought it was sort of interesting. Uh, he said this in an interview. Uh, Turns out Meghan Markle was not a great audio talent or necessarily any kind of talent. Uh, harsh. Uh, and, you know, just because you're famous doesn't make you great at something. Uh, this is talking about the Spotify deal where Spotify gave uh, the Duke and Duchess $20 million. And then they made like 10 episodes of a show. And then they tried to walk away and keep their $20 million. And I think Spotify is going to say that they don't deserve all that $20 million. I feel like there's going to be more conversations had there. Uh, but the simplicity of not necessarily a talent of any kind. Hey, I enjoyed uh, Suits. I did. I, I watched it recently. Uh, Markle's fine in it. I, I wouldn't say she's amazing in it, but she's fine. Uh, but other than that, no. Uh, being famous does not, in fact, make you good at at speaking into a microphone um, on the radio or on a podcast or anywhere else. There's reasons why there's a tremendous amount of audio things out there and very few are actually successful uh, in the world of podcasting or really anything. So, again, I do find that pretty interesting. Those are, those are fighting words, though. If ever I've heard them, I imagine the Duke and Duchess will get mad and be upset about it and then probably, well, move on to other things. Who knows? Uh, one other story I saw out there that I like a lot. Um, I've talked about, although it's been a while, I feel like, how I want to set a Guinness World Record. Just one, some record. I don't care if it gets broken. Shortly after I set it, I just want to be able to say a Guinness World Record holder for any amount of time. I want it recorded once. And so I just saw this. Uh, There's a guy named Christian Roberto Lopez Rodriguez. He has 57 Guinness World, 57 Guinness World Records, which just seems wrong and unfair. His latest world record is he put on stilettos, high heels, and ran faster than anybody's ever run uh, a 100-meter sprint um, in high heels again. Uh, He ran it um, in 12.82 seconds, as I said, earning his 57th Guinness record. You know what's craziest about this? He ran it just three seconds slower than Usain Bolt did when he won a gold medal. Christian Roberto Lopez Rodriguez uh, ran just 3.24 seconds off the record-setting pace of a Usain Bolt. I assume, um, you know, steroids or other things are involved. I don't know how they can't be. I'm kidding. Uh, But that's just amazing. 
amazing. And 57 world records is enough, man. You don't need any more. Uh, let me have one. I don't want that one. I definitely don't want that one. Uh, but I'd like a record, and he's taking all of them. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's Craig Collins Show, top five at five. Time is right now. Not going to tell you why I'm laughing about that. I laugh all the time anyway. Uh, don't be curious. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, the first, I love this story. I can't help liking this story a lot because the message is so simplistic. Uh, James Meredith is the man's name. If you don't know that name, that is a civil rights icon. Uh, James Meredith is 90 years old. He is a black man uh, who is still advocating for uh, certain things in uh, his home state of Mississippi. Uh, he is probably best known uh, during the 60s as someone that helped integrate uh, an all-white college and uh, faced a lot of challenges uh, in doing so. In October of 1962, federal marshals escorted Meredith as he enrolled as the first black student in the University of Mississippi, uh, while white people rioted on the Oxford campus. That's according uh, to the AP. Um, what is Meredith saying today at 90 years old uh, about the world we live in, the society we live in? He's saying the way to reduce violence is to follow the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's his entire message. And he's saying that to individuals uh, because he believes the best way to reduce violence is to reach individuals. He's not talking to the politicians. He's not telling them to follow the Ten Commandments. And I love this. He says, follow the golden rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Uh, Meredith says that his, his uh, mission came from God. In his 20s, he is an Air Force veteran as well. Uh, people don't know this about him. Uh, he was an NAACP attorney who represented himself as he obtained a federal court order to enter the state's flagship public university. Uh, all of those things are things that made him an icon to the civil rights movement of the 60s. And his message is simplistic today. I thought it was powerful and moving to say it that way. He just says, follow the Ten Commandments, and violence is something that will go away. Oh, I don't know if he's being that specific, but that's how you fight crime is by just following the Ten Commandments as people. So his message is directed to, to humans, and I'm a big, big fan of that message. All right, other stuff out there? Uh, let's play this. And this is the full intro in Meet the Press. I did have somebody send me a message. I was praising uh, Chuck Todd a little bit, and someone sent me a text. You can send me a text, 309 340-4464, There's a Trump shot at the beginning of the audio. I didn't edit it out. Uh, the audio I found was on social media, actually on um, Republican Research Twitter pages, uh, which is where I, I found the audio of Meet the Press and the things they were saying uh, about um, how bad things look for uh, Biden. But I'll go ahead and play the full intro to the Meet the Press this past weekend so you can hear the Trump shot that uh, Chuck Todd took while also saying how grave things look for President Biden right now from an approval standpoint or a belief in most Americans uh, that we're going the right way and not a horrible direction as a country. NBC News poll that we're releasing this morning and in it, voters are deeply dissatisfied with the direction of the country. They're concerned about the mental and physical well-being of President Biden. But the story of the last four years is still true today. And in this poll, the best thing for a Biden re-election campaign continues to be the presence of Donald Trump. Just 20 percent of voters believe this country is headed in the right direction. Seventy four percent say the nation is on the wrong track. Let me tell you something about this moment. We have had this sustained period of 70 percent about a year now. Uh, the last two periods in the history of this poll that we've had this kind of sustained negativity about the direction of the country was before the 92 election and before the 2008 election. Both of those changed the party controlling the White House. Yeah, I got to be honest about the thing he said about Trump there, because the rest of it seems really significant. If you're a Democrat, you're saying to yourself, man, 
how do we get this guy reelected? And then if you're also a Democrat, apparently, according to Chuck Todd, you're saying, thank God uh, that Trump's going to alienate all those voters he's going to alienate and going to make it an easy win for Biden. Uh, essentially, Democrats are saying the only person they think they can beat is Trump. But here's the flaw in that logic, in my opinion. In 2020, when Biden run, ran, outside of the fact that a lot of people don't believe uh, the election was legitimate, and I don't want to get into that conversation, I want to look forward. I think forward's a better way to look, uh, not to diminish the conversation, but just not to devolve into just talking about it. Um, but I think when that happened, uh, Biden was more of an unknown quantity than he should have been to a lot of, say, voters, uh, because he wasn't exactly an amazing vice president, but had been a little bit. Who knows? Uh, there are reasons to think. A Biden hiding in his basement and just begging people uh, not to vote for Trump might have benefited him. Now there's a lot of reasons these polls are saying to not vote for Biden on its own, in and of itself, to, to vote a third party, to, to go any other direction. And at the same time, the support for Trump is overwhelming within his own political party. Um, the Meet the Press people went on to, to state several different Democratic-specific polls uh, that say that Biden does not have the approval he'd need to have to beat a Trump who has through-the-roof approval from conservatives. And I'm sure independents are maybe somewhat frustrated that those are the two choices again, uh, but I can't imagine that all independents would go the same road if they went the road last time to vote anti-Trump, because as I said, there are now lots of reasons these polls demonstrate to vote against Biden. Other things out there that I love, and this might be one of those examples, is even though 74% of Americans say we're going in the wrong direction. Corinne Jean-Pierre, White House spokesperson, says things are great. Bidenomics are going exactly as intended. And yes, that's a weird thing to use as a term you guys are trying to coin. I wanted to ask you about this uh, new Bidenomics messaging push. Can you just give me a sense first of, you know, how did you guys coin that phrase <laughs> or why did you decide to go with that branding going forward? You don't like Bidenomics? No, I'm just asking. I'm curious. It's, I think it's pretty clever. It's pretty good. Um, look, um, it makes good sense, Bidenomics, right? It kind of flows off the tongue really well. <laughs> no, it does not. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh -huh. what you're going to hear from the president, I don't want to get ahead of him. I think we've kind of laid out a little bit of what uh, what we what we are thinking. What we're hoping uh, he says. What we think yeah. the president's going to lay out, or uh -huh. what he is going to lay out. Uh -huh. uh, certainly it's a vision, right? It's a vision about growing the economy. It's a vision about how great we've been doing, how nobody thinks that we're doing bad, and everything that Meet the Press said is totally crap, and everything being more expensive is stuff you haven't even really paid attention to. Uh, by the way, the president did speak about uh, Russia and Ukraine. I have a little bit of that audio, too, as a top five at five. I told him that no matter what happened in Russia, let me say it again, no matter what happened in Russia, we, the United States, will continue to support Ukraine's defense and its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. He and I agreed to follow up and stay in constant contact. I'm also in constant contact with our allies to maintain our coordination. I'll be speaking with the head of state right after this meeting today and uh, making sure we're on the same page. I didn't get a chance to speak with one head of state I didn't, I didn't yesterday. Get, I didn't get a chance. I got I to gotta get back to that later, uh, and then we'll probably have that conversation at some point. Uh, yeah, so Biden is saying things are great. He's doing great, supporting Ukraine still. Um, that leads to the conversation about the uprising in Russia, uh, which is what you're being told occurred, and what you're being told is, is tremendously significant uh, because it means now that many, many more people will probably defy Putin. It's the downfall of Putin, the beginning of the end uh, for the conflict that the United States helped Ukraine win. 
The problem with that message, the problem with that narrative is even the guy who was in charge of the uprising, uh, who called it off after 24 hours and called it off for reasons that are confusing, if yet somewhat kind of reported uh, out there. Uh, one of the reports being that he got a phone call from a different world leader and he was like, all right, I'm good. We're fine. Uh, now that um, person, that uh, paramilitary uh, mercenary uh, leader is saying that it was never intended to be an uprising to take power from Putin, uh, driving military vehicles toward Moscow un, um, uncontested for a while there after a little bit of conflict, that it was really just uh, sending a message of, of just, it was like a protest is all it was. And now everything's fine and everything's going to be great. And let's all look another direction. Uh, that's what's actually occurring in, in Russia, uh, which may or may not change the opinion of the Russian people for uh, the leadership of Putin. I'm not a Putin fan. I'm not trying to do a pro-Putin or pro-Russia segment on radio here. I'm just saying that some of the way we've been shaping the conversation in the United States is unlikely to be accurate uh, based on what's actually going on and being said uh, by both uh, Putin himself, who who sounds like he might actually uh, wind up um, holding uh, some of these uh, people from this uh, Wagner group um, fairly responsible uh, might be some poisonings and some disappearings, uh, which Putin is one to do, however scary that is to say. And then it might be business as usual in Russia after a part of Saturday night did feel like you were going to see something historic. The rest of the night, not so much. And the rest of, well, all of this other coverage, uh, sadly, not so much. Again, I'm not I'm not trying to be pro-Putin. I know when people, especially conservatives, uh, say certain things that question narratives in the world of the Ukraine-Russia conflict or what's going on here, you get labeled as being like state media for Russia 2.0 operating in the United States. I've been given no directives by anyone. I would like to see Putin fall. I would like to see Russia fail. All those things are still true. Uh, but I'm also not going to pretend that something occurred that seems like it didn't occur the way that we're saying it did or with the significance we're claiming it did because, well, that's not really a great way to go about talking about these things with you. All right. One other thing I do want to play, a uh, top five at five. Uh, this is Ron DeSantis. Uh, this is his solution at the border. He is very specific about who he says I uh, would actually see um, lethal force used against them at the border. It's not anyone. And I don't think anybody who votes would support turning on uh, guns on like children or things like that. So that's not what he's saying. And anyone that represents it to that is sort of purposefully misquoting uh, him here. Uh, but I do want to play this because I, I do think uh, there is a, a level of significance to what he's saying and how it is different uh, than what others are saying and whether or not it's something that actually would ever be enacted. Well, that's a question I guess I'll try to answer uh, after. But here's uh, what DeSantis said about his new vow to stop cartel-specific individuals uh, that are trying to do things at, this, at the southern border uh, to continue to sneak either people or drugs in. He's talking specifically about uh, narcos, about cartel, uh, which are, are criminal syndicates in Mexico. And we're going to create adequate rules of engagement. If somebody were breaking into your house to do something bad, you would respond with force. Yet why don't we do that at the southern border? So if the cartels are cutting through the border wall, trying to run product into this country, they're going to end up stone cold dead as a result of that bad decision. Now, again, he's being shaped as saying that he's threatening to use deadly force on anyone uh, that crosses the border, which he's not saying. I don't know if this is something that would actually uh, effective, uh, be effective, would work. I don't know if it's something you could even feasibly do. 
identify who is and who isn't a cartel specifically. Uh, but I will say, as, as far as this narrative goes of the United States using our uh, capabilities to kill cartels, uh, my wife, who's from Mexico, would be in support of that. Uh, if, if our, our forces uh, were used to, to kill drug dealers, to kill uh, criminals, to, to kill people who smuggle uh, other humans into our country and sometimes leave them on, um, you know, buses or trucks to die. If if our forces were used uh, to stop those people and intimidate those individuals, again, I'm sure I'm speaking for uh, Betty and many, many people in Mexico when I say uh, they'd be for it. They'd be all about us uh, using our uh, abilities uh, to to stop uh, with deadly force uh, the criminals who are indeed uh, members of the cartels uh, in Mexico. Uh, but again, whether or not you could actually do that effectively is certainly, I think, a question uh, that would need to be asked and need to be asked quickly uh, about the uh, stance there. But no excuses was essentially the message from a DeSantis, which, as I, which, as I said, is already being shaped dishonestly uh, by those who want to um, portray DeSantis as insane, as someone that would uh, shoot a kid uh, crossing over uh, our border into our country. And that is not at all what he said and not something – Anyone, um, me or anyone I know, really would ever support. All right, quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, I'm a millennial. I mention that from time to time in this show. I'm in my late 30s now, uh, but still millennial, uh, 37. Um, so uh, getting to the other side of those. Uh, but anyway, I remember uh, for several years there, Millennials killed a lot of industries. Uh, there would be a headline like "Millennials killing this," "Millennials taking down that," uh, which wasn't really a point of pride uh, for me as a millennial. Uh, apparently, there's a new one. Uh, Gen Z is just as to blame as as millennials are, and this is women specifically. So apparently, I'm not uh, caught up in this. Uh, apparently, uh, women in both of those generations are ditching the pricey handbag. Uh, the pricey purse is what I would call it in favor of backpacks and fanny packs. I don't know a lot of people wearing. Uh, please tell me three zero nine. Three four zero four four six four. I may already immediately not feel like a millennial. Three zero nine three four zero four four six four. Anyone that's buying fancy fanny packs, I did not know that was a designer thing uh, that's happening. Just thirty nine percent of women, aged eighteen to thirty five, say that they carry a handbag or a purse for activities other than work and school. Uh, according to the survey, sixty percent of women, uh, age thirty five or younger, actually, or excuse, thirty five or older, uh, still carry a purse when they go places. And then, actually, uh, many more young women are now, as I said, carrying either a backpack or a fanny pack. Sales of fannies, uh, which, is <laughs> which is the sentence in front of me. I just I read the sentence in front of me. People uh, have peaked fifty six percent higher than they used to be among uh, young adult women. Uh, purchases of fannies. All right, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to keep going with uh, low-hanging fruit jokes there. Uh, most adults think that artificial intelligence produces better artwork than people ever could. Uh, this seems to be a study of people who are not artists themselves uh, because I don't think anyone that actually takes the time to create uh, would feel this way uh, about it. But just 11% of people in a recent survey argued uh, that human beings are better at art than computers are. As I said, a whole whopping uh, percentage of people, uh, 60%, uh, said that AI is better at this stuff. Even drafting emails, uh, people said AI is just easily better at. Uh, but art is is something that's very different, and I don't think something that computers actually can do well because, well, uh, they have no emotions. They have no soul. Uh, I just I just don't. I The minute you tell me a computer made it, I would immediately feel differently about it. 
no matter how cool I thought a painting or any kind of art was, uh, the minute it's not a human and they're not trying to tell me a story unless the, the um, robot has been through some things and trying to put that out there in the world uh, via the art. The catharsis of art is what makes it powerful if you can identify it, which I almost never can. I'm not claiming to be good at this. Uh, that would be absent in any sort of um, computer-created thing. So I reject this study, sir. Uh, another one out there that I thought was interesting, 16.5 million Americans – According to uh, the Physics of Fluid Journal, which does not sound like a journal many people should be buying and doesn't sound like the kind of journal uh, that would not have some sort of, you know, uh, brown cover over it. So you can't see anything going on there. But 16.5 million Americans are at risk of a stroke because they're, quote, exercising too hard. Uh, that's what a new study said. Uh, when fat and cholesterol levels may be up in our country and some people are pushing real hard uh, to get from wherever they're at in their life uh, to somewhere they want to be in their life. Uh, apparently, this is causing um, a more significant risk in the world of heart health. Uh, the Cleveland Clinic uh, was involved in this study as well. Uh, Americans are estimated to experience uh, certain um, heart-related stresses um, quite a bit more often than, than they'd want to. An estimated 16.5 million, 5% of Americans experience these sort of things. And as I said, they're, they're likely to go up if you're pushing way too hard uh, working out. So a heart rate between 67 and 100 uh, beats per minute is good while resting. A heart rate of about 140 beats per minute is good while working out, especially if you're just getting back to it. Uh, don't push yourself too hard, too crazy, uh, because it's it's bad, is what there's, which I love this study, by the way, because now I have an excuse for not going to the gym as much as I, I don't go to the gym already. I, I don't want to put myself at risk. That's really all I'm doing is trying to protect me uh, from any sort of adverse heart reaction uh, to pushing too hard at the gym, or at least that's what I'm going to tell myself as I drive home tonight and don't stop at the gym. 1470, 100.3 WMBD, Craig Collins show. Good story, bad story time. Let's get after a few of them. It's a Monday. I feel like doing uh, multiple good stories before I do a bad story. And by the way, this segment is something that gives you hope in our society and then something that uh, shoots that hope uh, right uh, down the toilet. I don't know why I do it, but darn it, it's, it's the world we live in. All right, let's do the good stories first. As I said, there are several of them today. I like two of them a lot. Uh, first, Jiffy Lube is going to offer anybody uh, that drives an ice cream truck a $150 voucher for free maintenance to all ice cream truck owners in the United States uh, so that you can get everything ready to go uh, for this summer, uh, especially if you're not already doing that. I feel like you're late to the game here, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, free voucher, free maintenance of some kind, and then sweet, sweet ice cream truck. I do not have, or maybe it's just the hours that I work. I don't think I have an ice cream truck that drives through my neighborhood every day. And the reason that I'm telling you I'm aware is because I have already run out to the ice cream truck. I fully run as, as a 30-something-year-old man. Uh, and Betty usually encourages me to run because she wants ice cream from the truck, too, on two separate occasions in my community uh, to get ice cream uh, from said truck. Because usually, like, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm watching the Yankee game downstairs in the basement and hear the faint sounds of the ice cream truck. And that's why I think I chase it down. Uh, one time there was a <laughs> – I shouldn't say this. Oh, darn it. We're here. We're, this is a good story, bad story all in one. One time there was a kid behind me that was thrilled that an adult man was running with him to stop the truck because we might have lost the truck without me. And when the kid caught up, he was like, good job, man. And I took that compliment so well. I was like, you're welcome, sir. I think I did call him sir. Probably not. Hopefully not. Who knows? And then I walked away. Uh, ice cream in hand. Very proud of myself. 
uh, on two separate occasions, as I said, uh, chase down an ice cream truck <laughs> along with a kid. But that we don't have it every day because I'd, I'd ice cream truck more. Uh, but Jiffy Lube trying to help fix that if my ice cream truck is broken. I don't even know uh, who's going through my community and wants to see a guy that very few people will recognize from the radio uh, running after um, a snack. But it's a thing that can happen uh, at some time in the future. Uh, the other good story that I like a lot is someone is saying that they've discovered the world's smartest cow. Uh, the cow is in Nebraska. Uh, the cow's name is Ghost. It set a world record unfair. Even a cow named Ghost has a record, and I don't have one. Um, ten different tricks in under a minute. Uh, these things include stay, spin, uh, bow, kiss, uh, answering the word yes by nodding your head in the yes direction. Uh, ten different tricks, uh, all in a record amount of time. Uh, not fair, again, that a, a cow named Ghost that lives in Nebraska has a record I want and don't have. Although I can't set that record specifically either, that would be odd. Uh, maybe oldest man to chase after an ice cream truck is something that could be in a record at some point. I feel like I could be – I'm at least somewhat up on that list. All right, let's do the bad story. And there, there's a couple of them, and I didn't know exactly what road to go, but let's go this road first because uh, this story is unbelievable. It's so uh, bad. So a woman in Indianapolis – I think this happened um, last week – was robbed at gunpoint. This is a bad story in and of itself. Um, she was robbed while she was walking out to her own mailbox. Uh, the uh, person who was robbing her um, said, let me in your house. I'm going to take all your money in there. Uh, she very smartly said, I don't have any money in my house. I got 100 bucks in my car. You can have that. The guy stole it. Then he asked her for her Facebook at gunpoint. Then, and I'll play some of the audio from uh, a local uh, news station in Indianapolis, he tried to ask her out. The guy that robbed her at gunpoint said, I'm going to pay you back uh, the money I owe you that I took with a with a gun. And then eventually, like, you want to come Netflix and chill, more or less. It did not work well. Uh, connecting on Facebook helped authorities arrest the guy. Uh, so probably a bold move. But here we go. Here's a little bit of that audio. This isn't where the story ends. Boyce got the money, but that's not all he appeared to be after. Court documents state Boyce then pointed his gun at her and told her to add him on Facebook. And I thought maybe if I added him on Facebook, that would be it, and he'd, he'd leave, and he did. Court documents show after that friend request, he left. But that's not where their exchange ends. Instead, the DM started flowing. Court documents show Facebook messages between Boyce sent to Baran, where he said he's going to pay her back, then told her... She was too pretty to rob. But then what? he continued to message me Christ. on Facebook the next day. He then made his move, asking her to come chill. I just can't understand the thought process <laughs> of somebody. Who Neither can I. I did not know any man. Uh, she must have been real hot is what uh, someone just texted me. You can look the story up for yourself. I don't want to get in trouble uh, by saying anything. I don't, I don't know. Uh, she's not unattractive. She's not uh, as hot as you might be picturing right now, in my own humble opinion. I'm sure I'm wrong and somehow sexist now for giving my opinion on something. Uh, but the fact that the guy tried to date her is the most ridiculous, scary, legitimately scary. The guy's been arrested now thing uh, that happened to this woman. Her name is Amber. Uh, but also just like just fully insane. Just fully like, yeah, you know what? I did rob that woman at gunpoint, but she was pretty cute. And she did connect with me on Facebook, again, because I forced her to at gunpoint. 
maybe she's forgiven me and wants to hang out. I did offer her $100. Terrifying and ridiculous and a low point for men everywhere, I think. Um, not that we can all be blamed for the actions of this person, uh, but still, that's, it's, not, it's not a good look for us as, as a group here. Some other things out there that I think are interesting, uh, just quickly. Uh, this is another um, somewhat of a, a bad story, in my opinion. Um, there's a new job listing for true crime fans. Uh, the Tucson Police Department has a new position where you can be a detective without being a cop first. Uh, there's still some training that's required, and there are a few limitations, like you wouldn't get a gun or be able to make any arrests. You'd just be a detective, uh, but you'd get to do all the stuff detectives do, like visit crime scenes, interview suspects, and help bust bad guys. You're just not a cop, and they're not promoting you as a cop. Uh, first, like making you go that road first. It's the professional staff investigator job. I find this to be a bad story because uh, I would think you'd want all your detectives trained to be cops and not trained this way. But maybe we have uh, some in our own community I don't know about. And so maybe they are effective. Who knows? I'm sure a cop can tell me about that. But professional staff investigator, a new job, uh, pays 22 to $33 an hour. A no gun, but you get to show up at crime scenes. Uh, that sounds great. That sounds ideal, I'm sure. Uh, one other thing, uh, just quickly, uh, also feels like a bad story to me. Uh, a true story as well. Um, but malaria, uh, not really a joking story, has been found in the U.S. for the first time in 20 years, according to um, a new uh, three cases, uh, one in Texas and two in Florida. It is alarming because most people who acquire malaria I usually do it by traveling outside of the United States, uh, but in all three of these cases, those individuals did not uh, go somewhere else and come back. Uh, they were here the entire time. So malaria has been found uh, in the U.S. Uh, that is a uniquely and just horrible uh, for, for so many. I'm not laughing because I find it funny story because, well, um, that's what we need, a world. Uh, we need more things to be afraid of. And I'm sure there will be conversations and whatnot about this that will go way too far, knock on wood, hopefully not. Uh, but, yeah, that's the real story New York Post is reporting. All right. A quick break in just a second. Uh, before I break, I want to tell you that the VFW in Peoria Heights is one of my favorite places to go. Um, there's a lot of conversations you can have. Uh, someone uh, told me about some signs in the front door uh, that tell you they limit some conversations. I think those signs are getting taken down. I think they might be a joke, but I thought that was funny. Uh, but it's just a good place. And and beyond that, it's a, a good bar. Uh, they have an open uh, pool table uh, more often than not. They have a whole gaming room and back. Uh, they have a Casper beer on draft, which I like a lot, and Casper um, seltzers as well as just another option for you. And they're, they're getting up there in their um, community raffle. Uh, they're well over $60,000 now for the winner of that raffle. And those numbers creep up, creep up, creep up. And then when they get to, I think, 100 or something, it winds up being, you know, elbow to elbow on drawing day and Saturday. So the, the numbers are going up in the world of the, draffles, uh, the raffle, so you might as well want to play that and hang out, and you're, uh, especially on Taco Tuesday. I'm likely to see my wife and I there. All right, quick break, a lot more in a bit. Uh, Craig Collins, 1470, 100.3 WMBD. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show for a few more minutes. Thrilled to have you with us. Uh, quickly, some stuff to talk about. I do like this. Uh, there is a world's ugliest dog competition. Uh, the winner was crowned on Friday night. Uh, this happens, I think, in California, and then they send the winner off to New York City for some reason. Uh, but I have some audio. Uh, this is what it sounds like when a very excited MC uh, gets to give away an ugliest dog award to a dog named Scooter, who is a seven-year-old uh, Chinese crested, bald, uh, backward-facing hind leg dog. 
uh, that seems a little mean. I'm being overly millennial about it to call the world's ugliest dog. Here we go. Now you guys are nice and warmed up, right? How about little Scooter? <laughs> okay, okay, I think that does it. Scooter, you're going to New York. World's ugliest dog. Oh uh, yeah, is Scooter. Congratulations. How do you feel, Scooter? Okay, that guy's got to be a radio host uh, somewhere, I imagine. He's going full over the top in his gig to host that event. How you feeling, Scooter? He's the ugliest dog here. Uh, but yeah, the world's ugliest dog competition. Uh, it's a competition that's been going on for a while, and people sign up for it because any award's an award, man. Uh, you want to win anything. doesn't matter uh, what it is you're winning. All right, some other stuff out there that I thought was interesting. Vanna White apparently asked for a raise. Um, the story is that Pat Sajak is leaving. He's quitting Wheel of Fortune. He's got one year left, and then he's outie. And uh, Vanna White was going to go with him or maybe not going to go with him, depending on if she could get some sweet, sweet additional gauche. Uh, Vanna White, according to sources, uh, at least sources in uh, Uproxx that are that are referenced here, makes about $3 million a year uh, turning the, turn the letters. Uh, Pat Sajak apparently makes five times that amount of money. Uh, according to the person who wrote this article and seems very mad about that. Uh, but honestly, uh, giving Vanna White a raise, I think it's unlikely. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. Uh, I think the reason why is if they do create a new show or at least pick up a new host, they might want a, a new team member for said new host, uh, even if it feels sacrilegious to anyone that's ever watched Wheel of Fortune to say that Vanna would get replaced uh, because Pat's uh, quitting. Uh, but it, it may happen, although uh, Vanna White, who knows? Uh, maybe she'll also at some point last minute uh, get the sweet, sweet raise she's asking for. No idea how much money it is. Uh, but that's part of the reason why she might be leaving, too, is that she tried to negotiate. She saw an opportunity, tried to uh, jump for it, and it might not work out. But who knows? Uh, I think maybe uh, the fans of the show might actually clamor for her to get more money and stay. Um, I would understand if the creators of the show would want a fresh new team, but the fans of the show might actually support Vanna White. So maybe that's how this story or why the story is getting out there. I don't know. A conspiracy theory in the world of, of Wheel of Fortune. That's my favorite. I will say this real quick about Wheel of Fortune. Uh, the weirdest thing has been going on for the last couple of years where I've seen viral stories um, about um, uh, Pat Sajak doing something offensive on the show. There's like a headline and he, he tackled a guy or he said something horrible or he made Vanna White uncomfortable. And it's never what they say it is. Uh, the headlines are always clickbait, at least in my opinion, because you get there and it's always a really tame, if not completely sarcastic, a joke version. Uh, like the uh, contestant that he tackled, uh, that guy was joking about wrestling or something. And so I feel like he's going out, um, say, Jack, at a time when he was already, for some reason, being attacked on social media for stuff that made no sense. But there, there were. There were several different I'm sure I could find a bunch of the headlines uh, referencing where Sajak is doing something uh, that's not acceptable in today's society. And then you watch it and you're like, again, not close. Uh, but Vanna White, uh, whether or not she gets her raise, probably irrelevant to Pat Sajak stories out there. Uh, 28% of us wake up before our alarm, according to a new study. 28% uh, of us feels way too high. That doesn't sound right. 13% of us don't need one at all. At times in my life, and actually right now in my life, I don't need one. I am awake uh, more than early enough to make it uh, to the show, to, to you know, prep my show in the morning. Like, I'm not waking up at 5, 4, whatever time uh, when I desperately need the alarm. Uh, however, it's just a comfort thing 
to have it, to turn it on every day, to wake up at the same time every day, to have it be a pattern. I can't see myself never using one. So those 13% of people confuse me. But then the 28 who always wake up before it, that that also doesn't make sense. I think you're setting it too late then. I, I think if you can wake up earlier, then, then I don't know. Um, but the alarm wakes me up every single day, no matter what's going on, no matter how late I sleep, no matter what time I sleep, it uh, set it till. I think my body can just stay at rest as long as necessary until alarm goes off. Um, uh, yeah, confused. 28% say that they usually wake up before. 41% uh, usually don't need them, but mainly have them as a fail safe. Uh, again, I feel like people are just lying in these surveys. All right. One other quick thing I saw that I thought was interesting. Uh, you can walk 10,000 steps in one day, and if you do that, you might be paid $10,000. Uh, Jim Bird is the name of a company. Uh, they are looking for a, quote, chief step officer, a CSO. I feel like there's another thing called CSO. Uh, if you uh, do the marketing stunt and put it up on social media to prove how easy it is, according to Jim Bird, to walk 10,000 steps in one day, uh, you will be entered into a contest where one person becomes chief step officer and that person wins $10,000. So it's a gamble. You apply online, you do some things, there's even some training components to it, uh, but then eventually you have to go viral on social media, have to have a whole video blog post about the experience, and you have to actually do the 10,000 steps. I feel like that's going to be the part they're going to monitor the closest. You can't take whatever the device is and just shake it uh, the way that a lot of people do and then claim 10,000 steps. It's not going to work out that way. I think you're going to get caught uh, quite quickly. Uh, but 10 grand is a pretty good payday uh, for one day of what might be, uh, they claim not, but might be hard work. I, I have no idea. I don't know how many steps I, I take every day. I don't think I pay attention. Uh, I know I have the app. On the, um, I'm trying to look it up, actually, right now, out of curiosity. Uh, probably not the best thing to do with a minute left in the show, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's only a few thousand. I can't imagine it's close to 10, uh, but they're claiming it's not hard, and a lot of people can get in on this if you want to get in on this. All right, uh, that's been the Craig Collins Show. I am back tomorrow. Uh, Dave Ramsey is coming up in just a little bit. Uh, before Dave Ramsey, Will Stevenson uh, fires off some news. No idea how many steps he takes a day or if he's even keeping track and counting. 14, roughly, 14, <laughs> 14 15 14 steps 14 to 15 total steps a day. I don't want to overexert myself. I forgot that you require TJ to carry you in the newsroom. <laughs> forgot about that. That was a weird new rule you put on right when you first got hey, here. He signed on to it. <laughs> That's his problem, not that, mine. That really is. Yeah, he negotiated poorly. <laughs>